0: Call Saul season four, episode three is over, but we are just getting started on the Better Call Saul post show recap. And now here are the guys who uh, thankfully are not the owners of any sick fish. I am Rob Sister here with Antonio Mazar. Antonio, how are you?
1: Speak for yourself, Rob. How do you know how my fish is doing? Yes. Is it
0: sick? Do, do fish get sick or do they, they just sort of uh, float at the top of the tank?
1: That sounds like the uh, post sick. Uh, I think they get sick when it's convenient for them to get sick when you need to um, talk to the vet, as they say.
0: Yes. Uh, How do you tell if your fish is not feeling well?
1: Gets a little green around the gills, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I
0: guess so. that's where it comes
1: from. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. That's a good question. Uh, it's not eating. I don't know. You tell me. Okay.
0: All right. Apologies for the podcast being a, a day behind. One hundred percent my fault. I was uh, indisposed into other podcasts, including the uh, Survivor One Hundred Thousand Dollar Pierre rehab Mid, and so a very important business, Antonio.
1: That is very important. That's a lot of money on the line, Rob.
0: (laughs) Yes, it's a a lot of money as well. And also, uh, there were a lot of Australian Survivor episodes involved in me being on the Australian Survivor Rehap Up. But now, here we are ready to uh, focus our attention on Jimmy and on uh, Nacho and and Mike and Kim.
1: Speaking of sick fish, poor Nacho.
0: Poor Nacho. Yeah, Nacho really uh, got put through
1: the ringer in this episode. I'll say like, yeah, this is uh, it was harrowing, Rob. Like it looked bad. Uh, Was there any point where you thought that might be lights out for Nacho or were you thinking he's surviving the whole time?
0: I never thought it would be. But I think if I was Nacho, I think that I would feel like Arturo got off easy.
1: Yeah. Headshot. Right. Done. No problem. Lights out. Like it just goes to black and that's it. This is the Bobby Bacala. But no, Nacho gets the it's the second shot, which, by the way, he's like turning around when that second shot comes in. he he couldn't have been ready for that. I'm questioning the placement of that shot like that is that's certainly a very risky move. If you ask me, I'm not sure about that. You got
0: to get up pretty early in the morning to pull one over on the Salamanca's.
1: Yeah, that I'm not sure about either. Like, <laughs> did you really think that that was a well-staged, uh, event there? Like, these guys, like, they, they're just sprinkling glass and spent, like, shells that I'm not even sure were spent shells. And I, I don't know. It just looked really shoddy to me, but I guess it worked.
0: Yeah, it, it seemingly it worked. Nobody uh, seems any the wiser, but we'll we'll get to Nacho. That uh, we tend to always uh, like to start with Jimmy on uh, this podcast, and again, Jimmy had an unusual week. That we thought that he was going to uh, get Mike involved for the first time this season. We saw him put that call out to Mike last week, and they end up in Mike's diner. And uh, I felt like, okay, here we go. Finally, a chance for Jimmy and Mike to work together. But uh, Mike passes on the Bavarian boy scheme.
1: He's not interested, Rob. All he wants is is, as his eggs. Yeah, this is scene number one, Rob, of our our bet for how many Mike and Jimmy scenes there would be this season. We have one. uh, You took the under on two point five. I took the over. So still think you're going to be tweeting to our boy Dean Norris by the end of this (laughs) season. Um, Yeah, it's Mike well you have to tweet him what he wanted so that's all i can say that's all it is gotta (laughs) supply the man's request um Yeah. Mike turns it down. He probably turns it down, right? Because he doesn't need the money, but he seems to think Jimmy should turn it down too. It just seems like it's beneath Mike on all levels. This is just a random criminal scheme. And Mike at one point says to Jimmy, like these guys do something to you. Like he wants to know why are you turning this down? Or why are you interested in doing this? And uh, it just seems like Mike was never interested and he doesn't think Jimmy should be doing it either.
0: Yeah. Again, he seems to think like, this is some sort of a cry for help from jimmy yeah he
1: basically says i'm sorry about your brother in the same sentence when he says you shouldn't be doing this Mm -hmm.
0: yeah yeah so what's mike's problem that mike feels like he finally has a good gig and he just doesn't want the exposure on some nonsense like this
1: You could say that. I think a lot of people believe that Mike has some sort of code where he only really gets involved with criminals. Uh, And so people like the Kettleman's in season one, they were criminals. So Mike didn't have a problem getting his hands dirty when it came to dealing with the Kettleman's. But I think Mike kind of bends the rules here and there on, on schemes like that. Uh, he used Jimmy for the coffee dump scheme where he, uh, just not the same as the, as the, the pie sitting Rob, uh, the coffee dump is something different. Uh, it's where he had Jimmy do the, the bump into the police officer who was investigating whether Mike was a murderer. Uh, and he had Jimmy take the, the coffee and spill it on him. So Mike could take the notebook. Uh, that cop wasn't a bad guy. So I don't know, maybe Mike doesn't want to rob these people who are just saps, uh, And so maybe it's part of Mike's larger code. Uh, We've seen him taking half measures and trying to take care of uh, and be very concerned about uninvolved or even innocent people. Uh, He even had a problem when the driver got killed uh, of the drug shipment that he basically put in harm's way by the Salamanca. So. He has some kind of code. It could be part of that. That might have been why he was asking, like, why do you want to do this to these guys? Maybe it's Mike's code. Like you said, though, I think it seems like he recognizes this as Jimmy in, in a bad spot and doing something probably in part because he's in a bad spot and maybe because of the death of Chuck. And I, Mike recognizes that and, and reacts accordingly, says, you know, I don't think you should do this either. I'm going to pass. Uh, Jimmy takes it like a champ. But uh, is this the last time we'll see them together this season, Rob?
0: I don't know necessarily how we're going to get uh, Jimmy back involved. I mean, this seemed like a convenient reason to at least have these two characters on screen together. But it seems like that Mike is very much in the uh, Gus Fring world that Jimmy is not really connected to any of the underworld characters except for Mike. So I don't really think that there is anything that's on the
1: horizon yeah he knows to call the vet right which means generally speaking that if he knows to call the vet then he can find people right mike set him up with this vet when he ultimately jimmy ultimately had the fish to begin with when he recruited dr, caldera. dr. caldera yeah and uh Better by caldera. the way this is caldera yeah I, I was just going to say this this is the guy who this is the Saul Goodman of the show Rob he's the goofy comic relief like funny character who we want to know more of his backstory if we're going to do another prequel series we're going to find out uh, has there ever been a TV show set at veterinary school Rob I feel like this is perfect let's do let's do the better Caldera show let's just kick it back and let's that this is your breaking bad uh, this is your better call Saul prequel
0: yes and then we can run into all of the the better call Saul characters on the better call caldera
1: Prequel? yes better better cauldra, yes uh yeah you know chuck mcgill probably had a dog at some point right good fun way to bring chuck back uh maybe a young kim wexler had a pet uh perhaps howard hamlin uh he seems like a schnauzer kind of guy i don't know like maybe some of these people had pets and they're taking them to the vet at some point so yeah we're, it's a good way to bring all these people back in uh it just you chose you're right that jimmy doesn't necessarily know a lot of these underworld characters when he's talking to mike he says you could send price down there to do this he brings up price so jimmy doesn't really know more than a handful of these underworld type characters he's going to seemingly build up his rogues gallery uh through this work with the vet and he's already met another one in this episode as somebody that is obviously a breaking bad character so i think this is going to be a good way for jimmy to do this but none of that has to involve mike so i'm just not sure how we'll see them together again the rest of this season maybe mike will need some help from jimmy at some point
0: all right. So Dr. Caldera is having some trouble uh, selling this idea to Ira.
1: Ira yeah this is a a face that at the time we're not sure who he's trying to sell this to the way this show works Rob I mean I know you probably were the same as me and I'm sure many people listening were it's like who's on the other end of this phone is it Kubi is it Bill Burr Uh, who is the person that that he's reaching out to that is a character from Breaking Bad that is some way associated with Saul Goodman and who are we going to see here on the other end of this phone eventually and sure it is it is Ira uh, later to be known as the owner of Vominos Pest Control, uh, a B&E guy, a guy, a second story man, a guy who used the pest tents to help him scout out and, uh, and lead to some of his uh, theft and burglary work. So it makes sense that if you're going to bring a burglar onto the show, uh, here comes Ira. And yeah, doc, the doc is not as good of a salesman uh, as, as good of a salesman as Jimmy is, but that's not a surprise. I mean, this is what Jimmy does. And Jimmy's so, on
0: fire uh, this season with making these sales calls.
1: He is. And uh, the doctor's a vet. Jimmy appears to be a proctologist of some sort with the questions he's asking.
0: <laughs> yes. Uh, he wants to know, like Tywin Lannister, uh, yes. do you poop
1: gold? <laughs> yeah, that's, well, maybe that's what's wrong with the fish, right? Like, I don't know. Like, uh, it's a gold fish, but maybe it shouldn't be happening that way. Uh, yeah, he sells it. I mean, it's a, it only takes or him about 30 seconds. It. Yeah, maybe he's eating it. Oh, that, Rob, Rob. That's gross. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't ultimately know uh, what's going on with the, with the vet. I don't know why the sell couldn't happen there, but it's just another Saul Goodman close. It's another Jimmy McGill using uh, Fleur, the, the language that he's familiar with to really sell the deal. And it's in and out. I mean, he's, he's, it's quick. It's a quick deal. And on his way out of the vet, Rob, he uh, brushes shoulders with one of the cousins. So again, he doesn't really know the real players. Uh, similarly, he passed by Gus Fring and had an interaction with him in the episode where Mike was having him scout Los Pollos Hermanos in season uh, three. So this is uh, not these are not people that Jimmy is familiar with. Generally speaking, he has crossed paths with Tuco, so he knows Tuco. But uh, other than that, he doesn't seem to know the real major players in the underworld. He knows a lot of the uh, the the prices of the world, the the small timers. He knows the the vet. And now he knows Ira. So here we are.
0: What an episode for Dr. Caldera also, who is going to have to uh, save the day for Nacho. Two storylines for Dr. Caldera
1: here they're setting it up Rob they're setting up the pre prequel like this is going to happen <laughs> it's huge
0: okay so we see the guy that uh, Jimmy recruited uh, Ira to uh, he is going to be off on the copy machine heist he is able to uh, get the door open he is able to go ahead and get that Alpine boy too easy just a very uh, simple heist except here is a copy store guy.
1: Mr. Neff. Yeah, Nef. this is uh, not great. Uh, not a great moment. Uh, it's embarrassing, this guy. Uh, Andrew Friedman, the actor. Uh, very funny guy. I uh, guess really small hands, Rob. Uh, I think that if you have ever seen his other work, his Uncle Jack on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Uh, he's a memorable guy. I don't think we gave that enough. Uh, I certainly didn't feel like I gave it enough lip service uh, when we first saw him. When we saw him last week, I thought this this guy, he's on Glow as well. Like He's a good enough guy that I I didn't think he was showing up just for the one episode so it makes sense that he would come in and have a lot of the heavy lifting to do with this this goofy work where he is living in his office seemingly on the outs with his wife what's that like rob i'm not familiar is that something that you have experienced have you slept in the uh, the podcast studio before
0: never ever has there been a character more relatable on <laughs> one of these shows uh <laughs> than mr neff
1: mr Neff, yeah the jew the jews have so you've bought a vacuum you bought a vacuum cleaner as a, as a nice gift okay. that seems like the very wrong gift to give anyone. It's like here's something to make you clean the house
0: yes no but it was a very relatable where uh, that he got her this uh top of the line uh vacuum cleaner and you know there was a disconnect where she's didn't want a vacuum cleaner but he's like but oh so i'm a i'm a jerk for buying you a present that's that's why i'm a, I'm a bad guy so you can sort of see both sides of that. Now, Antonio, what I was thinking as I watched this, and I'm not sure if uh, anybody else is thinking along these lines, do you feel like that uh, Mr. Neff bought this vacuum cleaner from Robert
1: Forrester? So that's a good question, right? It's a little bit of a laugh joke to Breaking Bad and vacuum cleaner sales. Uh, I think I've seen other people speculating that, is this just a metaphor or an example, a short short story about the exact thing that Jimmy felt negatively about last week, about how this guy's just a sucker? And the fact that he bought that pitch from Jimmy so quickly meant that he would buy a pitch from anyone or anything and that he's just a sucker. Literally
0: a sucker, right?
1: Exactly. So maybe that's part of it. Like, I don't know. Uh, I thought about the Robert Forrester angle as well. Something tells me that Robert Forrester is not the kind of guy that's uh, actively soliciting the sales. I think that's more of a front based business. Uh, but this is uh, it, it it's in, when anytime you say, you know, vacuum cleaner sales and, and, and uh, the Albuquerque, New Mexico area, I think you're putting yourself in a position where you're, you're asking like, is this going to be something connected to breaking bad's famous vacuum cleaner sales? So That's a good observation. I don't know that it'll come up. It could be a wink and a nod to that. And like I said, it could be as others are observing. This is just representative of what a sucker this guy is, uh, that he'll just buy a door-to-door vacuum off some guy. And that's why his wife's put him out. Uh, I really just think that's just the wrong gift to give. It's like, uh, I mean, I just, it's like me saying, hey, Rob, I want you to be my driver. I bought you some really nice gloves uh, for driving purposes. Like, I just don't think that it's, oh, you like the gloves. Okay, well, this is perfect. We got a good arrangement now then. Right. Uh, yeah i don't get it i just think that that's it's funny um there's also another breaking bad nod in this scene i think uh he orders the pizza and he asks for it sliced uh i think that might be a little reference to the unsliced pizza that seemingly ended up on the roof somehow uh <laughs> with walter's great pitch in breaking bad so i don't know if that's what, part of that, that or not a,
0: a common criticism of that scene of like how did they get a pizza that wasn't sliced like in albuquerque yeah. there's a pizza place that asks you if you want it sliced or not
1: that's definitely part of the Breaking Bad lore. So I think this is just kind of a little bit of an elbow to that and saying, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to order fine. it sliced. Like, is there places you have to make this thing? As far as I know, I mean, that could be a real pizza place that, that doesn't, it charges you less to not slice it or something. But uh, I think that was a little bit of a wink and a nod to the famous pizza from Breaking Bad, for sure.
0: Okay, so we see Ira is in trouble now. He's under the desk. He calls Jimmy he says, look, I need you to get down here. And Jimmy has to concoct. Locked away to get Mr. Neff out of the uh, copier store. Yeah, the offices just I mean, we, to. We had a copy store uh, in uh, season two with uh, some of it, was it uh, right? That was season two with uh, sort of the 1815 uh, number that was uh, changed, but this is like a copier sales copiers yeah. uh, way, way so prominently on this show
1: well i mean jimmy's a uh, he's a forger he's a criminal uh, he's the, i mean he had experience counterfeiting with the very copy machine they said counterfeiters use too much so it's uh it's he 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 did he cr- committed a forgery in in the one copy shop uh and he's got another criminal action going on in this other copy shop so and he worked in the copy room rob so like this is uh it's all part of his lore uh copiers in jimmy mcgill it's definitely uh it's definitely something that's representative of, of parts of his life it comes up again later uh a little bit uh when his time at hhm is revisited in the letter that chuck sends so jimmy and copiers definitely get to get get along pretty well jimmy and cars have had a sordid past as well rob uh sunroofs especially yes. uh, but here here he's able to just i don't know he's able to set the car alarm off at first and then he's able to pull some other trick where the car is in gear and and running so he's pretty pretty good with cars as well this jimmy mcgill
0: yeah he somehow i got the car into neutral and then uh, got it rolling backwards so that they could uh get ira out and ira uh, took the whole thing pretty well i think he was like in pretty good spirits like he wasn't like uh jimmy you really screwed me this time
1: yeah, he, he really did. I mean, especially considering this is the first time he met Jimmy, right? Like this is like this is their first job together. And it almost went that sideways. And he was just rolling with the punches. Yeah, Easy guy. I am curious. They they had a shot where his glove was visible in the, the case and when Mr. Neff was walking around the, the room uh, eating pizza and, you know, going in and out of the bathroom and doing whatever, his glove was visible in the case. I, is it possible, Rob, do you think that the switcheroo on this figurine is going to come back uh, in this season somehow? Or is this the last we're seeing of Neff's coffee shop? Coffee I would
0: shop? bet that it will be the last time because where are we going with this why go back to the copier the alpine boy the hummel
1: yeah i don't know i mean the because the next step right is they have to offload the thing right and seemingly mr neff didn't know what it was worth and he won't notice it's gone unless there's a giant burglar glove uh sitting in the open uh air uh shelf there. I I just don't know. It was an interesting shot. It lingered just a a split second. And I think it lingered to set the the tension of the scene. Like, is he going to see the glove and realize someone's been in this office? I just don't recall seeing Ira actually pick up that glove on the way out. And he was in such a hurry to get out the door and to hide. I, I don't know if he revisited and went back and grabbed that glove and walked out the door. I'm not sure he knows that he left it there. So if what happens now is Jimmy is some involved in offloading this figure um, if they've somehow filed a police report because they saw the glove there uh, and put something together with that. um, That could be something that comes back on Jimmy or whoever Jimmy gets to maybe offload the figurine. I'm not saying that I think it will come back. I just think it's possible.
0: Antonio, if that's where the season is headed, I think we're in trouble.
1: I think we had feedback to that extent at some point that said, I hope the figurine heist isn't going to be the big story of the season. Oh so, man.
0: If this turns into some sort of, you know, antique roadshow gone wrong, I think that uh, <laughs> I'm not sure I question AMC's decision to renew for season five.
1: <laughs> they, they, they got one. They got wind of that story, Rob, and it was an instant renewal. Yes. So maybe
0: yes. uh, Vince Gilligan has uh, lost a couple of miles off the fastball, perhaps.
1: <laughs> he just has to become craftier at that point rob it's fine uh, uh, yeah i don't know a
0: guy like that losing a couple of miles uh, from uh, from, this, from the nosebleed seats
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh mike erman scout is back this is a great um yeah a radar gun i'm just using my gut <laughs> uh i don't i don't ultimately know i just i think it's possible that there's something more to play out from this uh y- you're right it, it does seem like we'd be in trouble but uh who knows we'll see we'll see <laughs> yeah
0: a big sting operation to uh retrieve the uh the the alpine boy the little alpine boy at the yeah. uh trade show okay the
1: valuable wonder as mike called him
0: okay um I guess let's bring in Kim because then we have uh this final Oh, we scene have her. That's that,
1: great. She's that, here.
0: Yeah, that's going to oh, uh tie Jimmy and Kim uh <laughs> together in this episode and uh we meet uh Kim's uh new uh paralegal in this episode. Uh Viola. Yes.
1: Yes, Viola. Uh this is great, Rob. Uh, do you this actress is, uh famous for uh, another famous TV role? Have you any clue what this may be? Um
0: I know I read it this morning, but it is escaping me now.
1: This is uh, Lane Kim from Gilmore Girls. Rob, yes. Team Lane. Are you uh, heard Team Lane?
0: Yeah. Are you uh, are you Team Jess? Rob, I am not a Gilmore guy.
1: Oh, I heard you were Team Dean. Mm. <laughs> no, <laughs> you know you know to say no to that. Yeah, yeah this, is, uh, this, is, uh, this is a this is a this is a beloved no actress Rourke
0: or Spencer Bledsoe when it comes to the Gilmore guys or Gilmore girls.
1: Yeah, and they would, uh, they probably, if they're watching, uh, Better Call Saw, were cheering this appearance, like I'm sure many gillies were. Uh, this is, uh, this is great. Uh, and, um, Kim needs a paralegal at this point. I'm happy to see an actress of note because I think this means we're going to see some ongoing stuff uh, with the story here. Uh, and I, it certainly seems like that's what's being set up. In the context of this episode, when you bring him into the mix, uh, because you're you're talking about uh, what's going on with Mesa Verde, it seems uh, very bold, Rob. Uh, if they only knew what is to come in the banking industry, perhaps they would not be undertaking uh, these rapid expansion plans throughout the West. But <laughs> is here we Mesa are. Mesa Verde, too big to fail, Antonio. <laughs> yeah, would they get a bailout, Rob? Does Kevin Wachtel end up in jail? Uh, I doubt it. No one did, so Kevin probably skates by as. Well well, but uh, uh, lock him up, Rob. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I don't know, ultimately, what's going to happen with Mesa Verde. (laughs) Occupy Mesa Verde? occupy mesa verde yeah this is uh this is this is probably not a good it's it's it just not does not look good for the future for what we know it's funny because we watch these shows and we know what happens in breaking bad so we're looking at a character and being like oh man this is really going to not end well for you with this why are you doing this but i I don't need to know anything about breaking bad to know it's not going to end well for mesa verde in many respects probably so I don't know what kind of parachute Kevin Wachtel may have, but this is not good. Uh, It also seems like Kim is not okay with it, not because she's clairvoyant, but because it seems like a lot of work, Rob. It just seems like a lot of work. He's naming all these geographical locations, and she just fades to black. She's out of it by that point.
0: Well... I thought it was an odd scene in the way that, you know, Kevin comes in and is like, hey, is that is that Kim Wexler? Uh, Go on, get in here. Let me show you my, uh, you know, model bank set. And first of all, I don't know how bank expansions work. I mean, do they have an architect come in and design a, you know, a, a bank for, you know, each specific, you know, southwest city?
1: Certainly not what I would think, Rob. Did you? I mean, it, I think most it banks like look a weird exactly to the same do that,
0: where it's like, oh, here's the model for uh, for this branch in Salt Lake City. Here's uh, the this is what the Cheyenne branch is going to look like.
1: Yeah, perhaps this is a uh, this is a harbinger of things to come that Kevin Wachtel paid somebody a whole lot of money to make these designs uh, and they fleeced him for whatever it was worth. Those models were beautiful, but uh, they didn't need to be spending all that money. You know, just find a utilitarian design and go with it. Uh, but here we are. They have beautiful bank designs. Uh, Kim is really taken aback by the lighting, perhaps, but also by the models and really just by the scope of the whole project. So I, I thought the models were beautiful but uh, I think the idea is something that bowls me over and certainly seems to be bowling Kim over as well.
0: And let me play you a voicemail from Delivery J with a question about the Mesa Verde scene. All right. Hey, it's Delivery J here to deliver a question for you
1: about medical So, and, uh, What do you guys think about the mention of Nebraska in the Mesa Verde presentation of where he's going to
0: be opening up some Nebraska? Uh, the jeans in Nebraska... You think that's just a coincidence? Well, there are no
1: coincidences on that Better Call
0: Saul. Thanks, guys. Oh, there's a plus in your top there, but, <laughs> but come on, man, you mean?
1: I got nothing to do All, <laughs> all right, time. Delivery J. <laughs> so it sounds like right. Delivery J is a sick fish. Yeah, um, yeah, I, it's an interesting connection, right? We, I don't think. Are do you think there are coincidences in in the Better Call Saul universe, Rob?
0: I don't think so in this case, I feel like that that was a you know a uh, a very specific uh reference to be dropped there uh going back to where uh Jean's location is
1: north Platte uh and I don't know specifically what where this will end up i mean I don't it seems convoluted to say. Well, Mesa Verde will build a bank in North Platte, Nebraska, just like Kevin Wachtel has dreamed, and Kim Wexler will have continued will have continued to work as Mesa Verde's outside counsel, and somehow she will end up at that bank, uh, maybe working as a teller. What I that doesn't make any sense. So, I don't know to what extent that connection is there. It certainly is a hit, Rob. Like it certainly raises the uh, the the antenna, but I don't know how you could possibly bring that back into the story. I think more generally speaking, um, we're talking about Kim Wexler in her in her general story as being loosely connected to that area uh, and as possibly being somebody who maybe Jean is there in that in that area for a reason and that it may be related to Kim in some way, shape or form. She tells about um, her backstory of being from a small town on the Kansas, Nebraska border. I think she gives a story to uh, to Schweikert from Schweikert and Coakley uh, when she says she'd be working at the hinky dinky if she was still in Nebraska. Uh, I don't know specifically where North Platte, Nebraska is. I'm looking on a map right now. And, uh, you know, if this is something that uh, is on the border of Kansas and Nebraska, maybe we're onto to something. But it, it certainly looks like it's maybe in central Nebraska. So, not sure. Uh, I'm not sure how this may connect to uh, to Kim, but we're in the area, Rob. We're in a radius. We could draw a circle around Kim's hometown area, uh, where Gene is in North Platte, and you're probably talking about just a, an hour and a half in either direction there.
0: So what do you think was the reason why Kim sort of spaced out here? It was just that, oh boy, this seems like this is a lot of work and this is going to be boring and this isn't what I want to be doing with my life?
1: Yeah, I think that's it. I mean, I do. I, I think that... We saw a wake-up call in many respects for Kim. She mentioned Atticus Finch at the end of last season, and she's talked about wanting to do more impactful stuff with her legal practice. And what she's ultimately doing now is she's going to be uh, just a a bank expander. Uh, and look, it's great if you just want the money and you're getting fulfillment out of your life from some other channels. But for Kim, she poured all of her heart and soul into her legal career, and to for her to end up where she's ended up, it's just seems like this is a significant job, maybe more significant than she had imagined. And you know, she was originally enlisted to help Mesa Verde with some expansion that didn't look like this. It didn't look like the entire Western seaboard. It didn't look like becoming a federal charter bank. It looked like becoming a small, maybe interstate or small state bank. But here we are with what with, with this bigger plan is. And I think she was taken aback by it for sure. I think she's in a very interesting place. When she walks in the door, she's told, uh, Viola that Viola should not worry about working on a draft, uh, for some of these acquisitions that, that Kim can do it. Uh, but then by the time she's walking out, she gets a look at that cowboy on that, uh, on that horse and she's changed her tune. I think you were right the first time you should be doing this. And then Rob, what did you make of the fact that she asked to be dropped off at the courthouse? She says, you know, take me to the courthouse. I know it's not what we originally planned, but when she walks out of there, Rob, that's where she wants to go to the courthouse. It, it, did you? have any thought about what she might be trying to do at the courthouse after all that
0: no i have no idea because uh i don't know what one can do at the courthouse when they are not going to a trial antonio maybe uh you (laughs) could enlighten us
1: uh, uh, there 's a lot that she could be doing i 'm sure people would probably speculate maybe she 's trying to do something with regard to the estate of Chuck McGill. Uh, Jimmy signs the release by the end of the episode so i 'm not sure that it 's in any way related to that. Uh, she could be doing some more background work uh, looking into court filings of some sort uh, with regard to mesa verde i don 't know i 've tried to think about like what could that what could that look like is she is she looking into like some other some element of this business is this Did something about this rapid expansion plan that seemingly came from someplace that she's not heard about Did that strike her as odd and make her feel like she needs to dig into their books more um rob i've seen a theory on reddit i'm i don't know how good the theory is i'll leave it to the listeners to judge but i've seen theory on reddit that maybe the mesa verde bank is involved in drug cartel money um because there are no coincidences on better call saul I don't think that that's true, but maybe this is setting off alarm bells for Kim. I did not feel like that was what was happening. She has some idea though she's a creative thinker. Yeah. I don't know what that idea is if she, but she she has some idea that after that meeting, she's got to go to the courthouse to look into something. i, I don't Is she going to try to sabotage her own deal, Rob? Is that part of it maybe?
0: I don't know. I just think that the Kim storyline going back to last season is that you know she's having this existential crisis going back to when she was you know uh, working so hard. Then she gets into the car accident. It seems like uh, she is looking at her life in the world through you know a, a different lens, and it feels like that she is trying to maybe get out of uh, you know where this is all going before it gets too big as. As opposed to, you know, she is now trying to unravel the mystery of the Mesa Verde expansion.
1: Yeah, I, I could foresee a circumstance where she gets Mesa Verde back in the door at HHM by the end of this season. Uh, the big sticking point with HHM and Mesa Verde was Chuck. Chuck's off the table. Uh, that's referenced, by the way, by uh, by Kevin in this scene or this general run of scenes at Mesa Verde, where he references the fact that Charles McGill passed away. Sorry to hear that. How's James doing? Like, he's cognizant of all the, the stuff that's gone down. He sent flowers to the funeral. So... He's aware of of Chuck McGill his going out, and we saw Howard buttering up Mesa Verde a little bit last season when Kim was at lunch with them, and Howard came over to the table and said hello. Is it possible that Kim has some, has some positive thoughts for Howard at some point throughout the course of this season? Does she come around on Howard's way of thinking? Uh, maybe what happens at the end of this episode plays into that. And is Mesa Verde an HHM client with Kim's help by the end of this season? Uh, I don't know. It, it, this is, a, this is a thing where you, you don't need just one, uh, viola. If you're going to have this major of a thing, I think you're going to need a, a, mu- a much more involved team. And so maybe Kim feels like she'll need to involve HHM. We saw that with the Sandpiper lawsuit in season one, where Jimmy discovered this huge case and it was too big for Chuck and Jimmy to handle um, federal charter, all this stuff. Maybe this is too big for Kim to handle and maybe she's going to get HHM back involved. And maybe her courthouse visit was something to do with that. I'm not sure about that. I think which is TBD on that. I don't think that that was just a random thing, though. I think we're going to close the loop on that in the weeks to come.
0: All right. Later on in the episode, uh, we're going to uh, see Kim uh, working with uh, Viola again, and uh, she seems like Viola is doing good work. We see Jimmy eating breakfast once again. Jimmy is uh, he's a real uh, Walt Jr. at this
1: point. I was going to say, give a wall junior a run for his money on the breakfast style. Uh, but this is like a late breakfast. This struck me as like a, one of those, I was out all night helping some guy that I just met boost a figurine from a copy shop kind of late breakfast. Mm-hmm. So um, this is like a, you know, like a 3 PM breakfast here. Uh, Jimmy kind of waking up and rolling out of bed into the law office, but uh, he's going about his business. He's, he's a happy boy, Jimmy McGill. He doesn't seem to be wearing the, the guilt or the, 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 just the negative energy around uh, the death of Chuck McGill in any way.
0: Yeah, we see that he uh, gets his uh, share of Chuck's estate from Kim, uh, $5,000. He doesn't seem that excited about it. He says, Good, I could pay off my MasterCard. Kim is going to have the letter for Jimmy. Were you surprised that we got the letter in uh, Jimmy's hand so quick from when Kim got it? I kind of felt like that, that was going to be like a season long drag out.
1: Yeah. We talked about that last week, right? That if they drug it out for a long time, then the question would be like, why are you just now giving this to me? And it could be major drama between Kim and Jimmy. I think Kim saw Jimmy's happiness and thought this maybe is as good a time as any. I'm not going to have a better time. I didn't want to give it to him at night before bed. And who knows where that goes? Like, uh, this is a better time to do it. So I'm not entirely surprised. I actually vastly prefer that they did it this way rather than that letter be a sticking point because I really like what happens with the letter. Uh, Jimmy opens the letter. Uh, It's an undated letter, but from the context of the letter, it seems clear that it's written from Chuck's time at HHM before Jimmy revealed that he had taken and passed the bar uh, when Chuck was so happy with Jimmy because he could keep him under his thumb in the copy room, in the mail room. So this does seem to be dated from that time i know there's a lot of controversy about this letter rob do you want to address any of these things do you think that that was on the level was that as jimmy presented it was that the letter that chuck mcgill wrote uh to be delivered to jimmy
0: yeah i believe so i think that uh i buy into what was uh presented i think is it uh was it uh alan seppenwall in his uh uh, recap of the episode talked about uh, a conversation he was having with a another critic friend or was that maybe on twitter where There was some debate about uh, whether or not uh, Jimmy was improvising the letter, uh, either that it was uh, too harsh or, uh, you know, just to try to make uh, Kim not be concerned about that. But uh, I feel like that we would have gotten like some sort of a hint of like uh, Jimmy uh, improv a little bit. I know he's at the top of this game right now, but I think that we would have gotten a clue because I don't know how we get a reveal on that in unless Kim reads the the letter later.
1: Yeah. I also felt like I saw Kim like looking at the letter. Uh, I don't know that she was looking at it closely enough to actually read it, but she's not looking away or on the other side of the room. She's about a foot and a half or two feet away. Uh, and she can clearly look at what's happening there. So she's sitting right next to him. I don't ultimately know what, why that is, but that is, that is what's happening. So she's, she's, she's sitting right there and she clearly could read it. Uh, and that's, that's just what it is. So I don't, I don't think it's that. And I also don't think that she's written some fake version of the letter. mm -hmm. I think that's other, other people are speculating is this, was there some more negative version of the letter? Uh, and, and then she did it that way. I don't think so. I think this is the real letter.
0: And I think that the smoking gun is the part of the letter that talks about uh, Jimmy and Chuck's mom, where we know from flashback where there was uh, the death scene from uh, Mama McGill, where she was uh, calling out for Jimmy, you know, uh, Chuck Reference that this uh, might have even been prior to her passing. I'm not sure uh, where in the timeline uh, that falls, but, you know, she was calling out to Jimmy. So I do think that that does seem canon that Chuck would say, you know, you really were, you know, you such a, uh, a light in the eyes of of mom. So. I don't know if Kim would know that it seems like that um, something Chuck genuinely would say, uh, you know, weird thing for Jimmy to improv there. So uh, I buy everything as presented on the screen.
1: Me too, and I think the the real killer part of it is I I think the point of this letter is not some chicanery or prank. The point of the letter, right, is the the impact that it has on Kim and the lack of impact that it has on Jimmy, and the impact uh, it has on Kim that it has no impact on Jimmy. Like all of those things together are, I think, what's important about the letter. Not that it's some prank or something like that. If Kim had switched the letter out, there's no way she responds the way that she she responds. And if Jimmy had ad-libbed the letter, uh, I just don't understand what the point of that is. I think the point of this letter is exactly what happens. Think about it from Kim's perspective. Kim, that we knew in season three, felt very guilty about what happened with Chuck. Uh, She felt like, as she told Paige, and she blew up on Paige at one point, like, I feel like we just took advantage of a sick old man. And she, she really felt like there should have been another way. Sure. She attacked Howard a little bit about covering up for Chuck. But at the end of the day, I think she felt guilty. We've talked a lot this season on the podcast about how she is probably carrying around her own guilt over this, especially when Howard talks about it being a suicide, uh, and, and all of that. So I don't know, um, if you're talking about what happens with Kim this week as being part of that. But if you look at, if you look at what was in the previously on what we saw from last week was Kim blowing up at Howard and saying, how could you do this? You're going to give him this letter. One more, you know, one more stab from beyond the grave or whatever. She, she presumed that what was in that letter was negative. She presumed that it was going to be one final F you from Chuck to Jimmy. And she was wrong. Uh, what was in that letter was actually probably the nicest thing that Chuck has ever recorded as saying to Jimmy that it was representative of the happiest time in their relationship. And there were really powerful words. So she was really wrong to blow up at her mentor about that. And it reminds her, I think, of all the guilt that she's probably carrying around over what happened with Chuck and her role in it. So that's a very important reason for the letter to be real, because I think it's going to propel a lot of what, what comes this season for Kim Wexler's character and what comes this season between Kim and Jimmy? which is the final note of this episode. It's the door, almost Godfather-style, uh, shutting on Jimmy's face, uh, where he's half covered by the door and half not. Uh, he's this man caught between two worlds, uh, the world where he's able to go and console Kim, or the world where she needs to be by herself, and Jimmy can't play a role in that, because he's in part responsible for the way she's feeling. So it's very complicated. And I think if the letter is anything other than on the, on the level, I think you lose a lot of that. And I think that's going to be very important for their characters and their relationship for the rest of the season
0: don't at me everybody but kind of thought it was a soft ending to the episode i mean i think a little bit of a come down from last week's episode
1: well to be fair just about anything would be (laughs) but you're right like you're you're right like it was it
0: we're ending on that.
1: Kim is crying on the door. Yeah, Kim is crying. Uh, But this is something where, Rob, if you're watching this in the future, uh, anyone that's listening in the future that's binging the show and not watching it week to week probably said, you know what, I just started the next episode. Felt fine to me. So I don't know at the end of the day how these people who are... I think this is the creator's paradox right now. Like, how do you create a show That is great week to week, but also will be great in a binge. And I think this Mm -hmm. is one of those moments that would definitely play differently depending on how you're consuming the show. But I agree with you. It's definitely a quieter note than Tiger Shark Gus Fring last week.
0: Right. Just seems like uh, maybe a couple of episodes down the road. uh, Not sure we're going to remember this moment.
1: The door. Uh, yeah. So I don't know. Put a pin in that, Rob, because this the, the story of and it seems like they refocused this at the beginning of season two and have continued. But the story of Better Call Saul is largely centered around the story of Jimmy and Kim. And so these are important moments in their relationship. And I think if you're talking about North Platte, Nebraska, and you're talking about Gene and you're talking about the possibility that Kim may still be in the picture somehow in the Gene timeline, and maybe that. That's the ending for the character. Somehow it involves Kim. Uh, then these moments in their relationship are all going to be pretty important in terms of where they go on the map. But you're right. Like as far as the ending goes, anticlimactic and a little soft for sure. OK, uh,
0: let's talk about the cartel side of all of this. So uh, we uh, see that uh, big entire chain being uh dragged out through the desert uh, did you know immediately which character was going to be uh dragging that out
1: no i didn't know uh and i'm still i still don't really know the logistics of all that like i, I and i don't really want to think about it too much because mm-hmm. i feel like the more i think about how this all went down the sloppier it seems to me uh, i am curious there was a uh, it's In a what burning way, car you,
0: what's uh, what do you feel like is sloppy
1: well, why does Nacho have to do it? Like, why is he... Why, why do they have to set up the stop sticks as part of this? Like, why do they blow the tires out that way on the car? Because it's that, like, okay, well, we got hit by somebody sliding stop sticks across the road or whatever. It's like, well, you didn't see him coming? Like, what? there, there are questions that arise from that. Like, the mic thing, he yanked it across the road and then it appeared out of nowhere. With this, I mean, do they leave the sticks there? Did they go away? I mean, it just seems like you're setting this up for no... Like, I don't understand why it couldn't have just been something a little simpler, but... I, I, like I said, I don't want to unravel it all. I don't want people commenting to me or replying to me, explaining to me the plan, because I think it's shoddy regardless. I think throwing down, I think if you did an accident reconstruction on this, Rob, and you really investigated this, which of course the cartel and the people that are involved in this probably know the police will never be involved. But I feel like Gus Fring himself would have seen through this yeah well exactly (laughs) I feel like Gus I feel like Gus would have seen through this like I feel like Gus if he were on the other end of this and he were the one investigating he would have said like well that's odd because if I Mm -hmm. if I collect all this the the brake light material here there's far more material on the ground than there are brake lights there are more spent shell casings than there are bullets like this doesn't look right to me there's glass all the way up here but it's on the it just seems so shoddy there's a cigarette butt that's used and thrown down right by the flaming car like if this is ever really investigated they'll find that cigarette but yeah. will it matter probably not but it's just so shoddy to me yeah well the
0: salamanca crew uh does not really you know have uh the uh investigative uh and examining eye that maybe the fring crew
1: has well that's i think uh an understatement for sure yeah <laughs> yeah yeah for sure. Yeah, and the uh, more
0: they really go off of, you know, gut feeling as opposed to uh really studying the evidence. They're a little bit more like uh Mike versus the uh Jonah Hills in the scouting department. <laughs>
1: I love that money, money. Money. ball Saul is just the whole season here. Uh, but yeah, this is. You're right. You're right. Of course. And it's just. It's just interesting to me, uh, knowing what we know about the end for at least one of these characters uh, in the Breaking Bad universe. Uh, you do wonder. Like Gus has good people working for him, but what we're seeing, I think. Five years before Breaking Bad at this point, Rob, and certainly probably almost six years before we get into the real deep Gus Fring elements of Breaking Bad is Gus is still a man searching for better elements. Uh, When he spots Mike, speaking of scouting talent, uh, he snaps him up immediately and puts him in a position where he can use him, I think in part because Mike got the drop on his system and Mike is smarter than his guys and Mike is more thorough than his guys. And so I, I think it's also fair to say at least one of these guys has a very bloody ending uh, and it probably was seen as perhaps expendable because of his own sloppiness and mistakes. So these are not Gus's A-plus players. Uh, those That's what he's on the hunt for in this episode and in the course of Breaking Bad. So it's not surprising maybe that they're a little sloppier than we might expect. Okay,
0: so we see the cousins show up and uh, they are uh, reaching out for uh, Nacho. Uh, Nacho tells them that the person uh, drove a uh, silver car, a Firebird. Uh, Who do we know that uh, has this Firebird?
1: I don't, that didn't strike, that didn't strike me as somebody that we might know is that I I don't know. Um, the only thing I was thinking, I couldn't remember what kind of car, uh, Tuco had, but, uh, I really don't think that that would be it. Uh, so I really don't know. Don't know who that could be. Uh, and I don't know if he was trying to set someone up specifically or just being more general about it.
0: Yeah. It looks like, uh, we are going to see that car in next week's episode.
1: Oh, well, that's interesting. So maybe he was trying to pin it on somebody, but I guess maybe we won't find out necessarily who that somebody is until next week. I don't I don't know the answer to that. This is I'm stumped in terms of who the Silver Firebird might be. I'm trying to think if there are people within the course of the series that could be suspects for this at all, and I don't really know. Uh, it certainly doesn't seem like Tuco would have ripped off his own crew, so I don't know who else it could be that they would be setting up.
0: Okay, we are going to follow Nacho to go and uh, get fixed up at the, uh, the vet. Dr. Caldera tells him, uh, you know, good thing uh, that Yule Brenner over here is actually <laughs> O negative. <laughs>
1: the king and i and our cousin yeah this is uh, really funny uh, i again this is your this is your Saul Goodman he's making a movie reference rob uh he's making a pop culture reference and a throwback pop culture reference at that i don't need any more evidence that we're talking about uh better called era uh and our and our pre prequel than that i this is this is that's one of the things that makes me think it so i don't think it's definitely going to happen but i think that this is the mold that they're following with this character he's a little bit of a funny guy uh, his funny character note in previous seasons was he actually really cared about the animals that people were bringing in as a cover or a front uh and now we get these he's a wisecracker even to the the most hardened terrifying criminals uh when he's really doing the the nastiest work he possibly can uh he's cracking wise so there's a funny guy dr caldera
0: okay dr caldera says you know uh basically the uh, i'm getting too old for this uh cartel is getting too hot for me i want out
1: I don't blame him. Do you like, well, this is not the situation you want to find yourself in.
0: It's a lot with the cartel.
1: <laughs> he has to leave a bullet in Nacho. Like this is just all very, very bad.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. he suggests uh, Nacho uh, goes somewhere that has imaging equipment. Uh, do we think that is that going to see that on the show?
1: madrigal electromotive or madrigal does it do have imaging equipment somewhere in there uh it's a it's a possibility Uh, keep in mind now the deal is that nacho is owned by fring and uh he was at the brink of death uh i again it just feels like a very big risk to put him in in that in that harms that direct of harm's way but uh here we are he's saved and so maybe he does get involved in terms of the imaging he could also end up with that doctor uh in mexico somehow um that could be part of the story, uh, so that that could be part of it. I don't know. Uh, that that could be TBD, t- Rob.
0: Okay, uh, we see some Gus stuff as well in this episode. Uh, Don Juan is calling Gus,
1: <laughs> and they're speaking in English to each other, which is odd to me. <laughs> mm-hmm. But no matter. Uh, I just wanted to hear some Spanish. No matter. Uh, yeah, it is. Uh, he. This is. I think the key part of this for me was that this is exactly what Gus wanted. Like, this is exactly what Gus wanted. He wanted a scenario wherein Don Juan, Juan Bolsa told Gus to get meth from a local distributor. Because this puts Gus in a much more direct position of power. Uh, It's That's why I think that uh, Don Eladio never wanted this to be the case. But as we know, uh, how Gus builds his empire, that's a major part of it. I know that this is something that Gus was wanting to do uh, in advance, because we saw him scouting the laundry lab location last season this is already something that's in his brain mm-hmm. and he'd already had gail testing the uh the various versions of meth that he was able to acquire to see which sample was best so he's already been doing that before this command ever comes into play this is exactly what he wanted and he plays dumb and says i don't want to do this this is donald audio does not want me to do that and he, you know juan bolsa says, Will you let me handle donald audio I'll handle that but this is exactly what gus wanted all along he, they're playing right into his hands
0: okay so we get to see gus uh go down to the chemistry lab and uh look it's gail Bettiker.
1: <laughs> it's really funny like this is great I know like some of the Breaking Bad reference stuff like I like, I appreciate that there are going to be people who are like oh my god it was Ira I don't want to rain in anybody's parade and say there's no way you really cared about that being Ira because I'm sure there are some people who did every
0: but- single character from Breaking Bad every person that appeared on screen in Breaking Bad will, will, will Better Call Saul will go 30 seasons so we can get every <laughs> single character from the show
1: well, we're going to keep getting them, Rob. Like you, you talk, we should be doing like an appearance draft. Uh, I yeah. think that might have been a suggestion from Johnny D. Uh because when we talk about like local suppliers and Gus having to track it down, uh, that makes me think that we're going to get somebody from Say My Name uh, from the Breaking Bad universe. Uh, I think we're going to see someone like that in the picture very soon in this season. And so I'd love that we get Gail Bedeker here. Uh, I just it's a a great. This is a character I would love to see as much as they can possibly show us of this character. I don't know how much the actor is available. I know he's on Billions on Showtime, but as much as they can use the guy, I'd love to see him in the show. I loved this scene. Uh, This is something I was certainly happy to see uh, and a really funny, just just continual, like he's such a quirky, interesting guy. He really seems to be interested in making drugs, Rob. Mm Mm-hmm. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> which he doesn't seem like a bad guy at all so like why is he just so keen on he talks about benzodiazepine like he's really getting into the bad drugs and he's testing meth he's desperate to make meth for gus yeah uh, he's singing along with that tom lair song about the elements like this is really really funny so I- i'm just so so pleased that we got gail bedeker yeah here.
0: maybe uh big pharma has sort of a uh, frozen gail out for some reason they have like some sort of uh like anti singing role <laughs> it's like the big brother live feeds at these uh, yeah. big pharmaceutical companies Gail, they don't want to pay singing
1: Gail, please stop singing. They they don't want to pay the they don't want to pay the royalties. Rob, like this is, uh, but better call Saul will pay for sure. I, I'm, and Gus Fring will pay. He probably has the uh, Muzak license from LPH, so this is perfectly fine. Yeah, I, I love Gail. I'm uh, so happy to see him, and he's so weird. I thought he I thought that what he was working on with his little project there was going to be his crazy coffee machine. Uh, it doesn't sound it doesn't sound like it was. I'm not sure if that was a little tip of the cap about something else. It just seemed like he wants to make drugs what do you think the backstory is between gus and gail and is that something you think we're going to see over the course of better call Saul?
0: well i don't know if we're going to get to see uh the backstory i, I was more interested in where is the uh front story going that i uh, i mean was this uh like a the beginning of an arc for gail or was this just uh, we are seeing uh you know gus hunting around looking for chemists
1: It seems like the latter to me. Uh, I think one of the things we talked about in the past on this podcast, and I'm not sure how much we'll find out when, when Gus Fring was brought onto the show. And one of the things we talked about was I want to see where he gets, where was he getting his product before Walter? Like what was his operation like? And why did Walter fill a need if he was already this kingpin and had this huge operation before Walter, why was Walter so important? And the way Gail is introduced is, is into breaking bad. It's just like, Oh, well, He's, he's just here to observe. Like he he really wants to play a part. He wants to be your assistant. Uh, and it's presented as though Walter is the superior chemist to Gale. But here we have Gale in five years, five years or six years before that. Gus already has a relationship with him. He already trusts him. This guy is already desperate to help Gus for some reason. Uh, I'm not sure if the story that they're going to tell is, I think it's front and back. Like I think we're going to probably find out where Gus and, and Gale go Throughout the course of Better Call Saul. He's not, I don't, I think that's a gap they're going to want to fill in. But I also think they're leaving the door open very wide for why are they working together to begin with? How did he find him? Why is Gus so, or why is Gail so eager to please Gus? What's going on here? So I think more to come on that story for sure.
0: I liked when Gail said, uh, look, I I can make a kilo here. And uh, Gus says, uh, no, I can't allow it. You. were meant for better things.
1: Yeah, you were meant to work under a laundry, and uh, have a uh, a very questionable. Yeah, we I mean, don't want to get into that, but yeah, this is uh, this is bad. You were meant to read Walt Whitman and uh, be a very key player in uh, very key moments of Breaking Bad. Uh, I I don't know. You were meant for better things. That's the thing is is if if Gail is really great and Gail can do it, I mean, that's what I'm wondering about. Does Gail make a product ultimately for Gus Fring? Is the product 85 percent pure? And then Walters comes along, and it's ten percent better or 15 percent better or whatever and that's huge i don't know the answer to that i do know that gail is not as good as walter breaking bad has established that but gail is clearly better than whoever is cooking up the quote-unquote dreck that gus is having him test um where, where that leads where this goes from here is anybody's guess
0: I would just like to, to know that there's a reason why Gail is here and that it's just not like an SNL called open and we're just bringing Robert De Niro on for the sake of bringing Robert De Niro on and gets a big like, oh, my God, Robert De Niro is here. Uh, you know that I, I just want to make sure and, and hope that there is, you know, some intention here.
1: Well, we saw Lydia first come up into the Better Call Saul universe when Gus was scouting out that laundry and she was in the car with him and she was part of the the program. So we're like, oh, there's Lydia. And that that's your that's your SNL cold cold open Lydia drop in. Mm -hmm. But But then she's had a part to play here. She has subsequently had a part to play, which is, yeah, that's the point I'm making, is that Gail has now done his drop in moment. Has he subsequently had a part to play? Tuco in season one, he was the first of these, right? Like he was a guy who Jimmy had a run in with the skateboarders and that's Tuco and he's off the board and that's fine but then he has a part to play because Nacho is a bigger character because Mike has a run in with him. Tuco has a bigger part to play and that brings Don Hector into the mix. And Don Hector first is a guy that's just, he does his SNL cult open with Mike and he's, he's given him a little bit of pressure. And then he has a major part to play. And we come to find out what put him in the position where he ends up in the chair with the bell. So we answer a major question. I don't know what major questions there are with Gail, is what I was getting at. I think the questions that you would ask were... What was gus's operation like before walter how was he running his business uh what where was gail before walter came into the picture where did gus find him those are the questions we're having answered and i don't think we answer that with the front story on gail here it's, it seems like the the, uh, the story i'm interested in with gail is more about where did gus find him what was his backstory what was his gray matter like what was his what put him in a position where he ended up the way he's ended up was he blacklisted from big pharma rob or was it something else i think that's 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 all more backstory than it is front story. So it will be interesting to see if they have an ongoing arc for Gale or if this was his, his walk on, if this was his Robert De Niro moment, I guess TBD.
0: (laughs) All right, Antonio, anything else from this episode that we didn't cover?
1: I 'm trying to think if there's anything else that I really wanted to highlight I think people will probably be curious about the the federal versus state banking stuff with Mesa Verde I'm not in banking law Rob I don't know much about the these this interstate banking commerce stuff uh, it just seems to be that as they expand the bank beyond what it is they'll have to quote unquote go federal and when they do that it'll be a whole different series of regulations and a whole different uh, ball game to play and that's why I wonder. If HHM Will get involved Um do you think the fish has any kind of the, the if you're rewatching the show this season I'm sure you noticed that fish everywhere mm-hmm. and now we see Jimmy just using the fish again to get to the vet. Do you think that that's all the fish is representative of is Jimmy's criminal underworld cover story and that's why we see it all the time is it's representative of his criminal side that's going we're going to see more of throughout the course of this season?
0: Yeah, I think that something bad is going to happen to the fish. I don't think the fish is going to make it through. I think that the fish is a metaphor for something uh perhaps uh, jimmy's innocence and then uh the fish is not going to make it
1: uh it's a good question uh i don't yeah i don't know if the fish will make it or not. Uh, I just think I just I just don't know where where the fish comes into play, like with the with the figurine heist in the antiques roadshow. I really hope that the, fut- the future fate of the fish is not the ongoing story from this season. I would rather it be something bigger than that.
0: Okay. Um Antonio, uh a question from uh Johnny De Silvera, he wrote to us and uh he said, uh do you think they should have shot Nacho's car up more?
1: <laughs> I mean, that was already like Sonny yeah. Corleone at the top. No, jo- like our-
0: Johnny De Silvera knows. That that was like amateur hour.
1: As, as 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 compared to what?
0: Well, Johnny De Silvera knows uh like how you make that hit look good.
1: Boy, uh, all right. Well, uh, I'm going to stay on Johnny's good side, which I hope I'm on already. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, That's
0: why we got to answer his questions.
1: It's uh, we, <laughs> I, I appreciate all the feedback we get. I've got we've had some really funny feedback from Jim Duchesne, uh, and we certainly appreciate that. Uh, I, I got a good laugh out of the, a couple of things that Jim sent in this week. Um and i i don 't know ultimately about that about that car. I still think that it 's possible that that cigarette, which they lingered on, could come into play more, just like I think it's possible that the glove could come into play more. Those two, along with why did Kim go to the bank uh, are two are three of the things that I think i 'm most interested in, seeing where they follow up from the, the this episode to the next. Of course you you do these things and then they end up completely wrong. We thought Jimmy was just going to steal the figurine, they were going to not notice it was gone, whatever. He had some complicated swap in mind. So, Rob, what we see next week from Better Call Saul could be way different than we're, we're suggesting here.
0: Yeah. Any uh, takeaways for what's coming up uh, from next week?
1: As I suggested, I think we're probably going to see Declan uh, from the Breaking Bad universe, uh, because he's a guy that was a known meth supplier uh, from the state, specifically from Arizona. Uh, he, his sample could have been one of the samples Gus was having tested. Uh, there could be something more to that. But I just feel like we're going to see the guy in... in keeping with how they bring people from Breaking Bad into the mm-hmm. universe, it makes a lot of sense for him to be one of the people that this that this might, that, that Gus might invoke here as he's working with local suppliers. I think even within the Breaking Bad universe, Mike talks about having dealt with Declan before or at least having known about him. So I think it's very possible we're going to see him in the weeks to come, maybe even as soon as next week, if the pendency, because it sounds like what Gus's conversation with Juan Bolsa indicated is the dealers are going to run out pretty soon. So they're going to need to get new product on the street. So they're going to have to get this done pretty quickly. So I think we're going to see that very soon here in the next couple of episodes. Uh, I don't know beyond that what we might see. I, I still feel like it's possible I don't know if it'll be right away, but I think Kim's going to have a little bit of a different view of Howard uh, and in HHM in general, and maybe want to pass this client back to them. HHM being a big law firm, they have no problem handling boring shit like this and large scale boring shit. Even if Kim doesn't want to.
0: Yeah. Well, we probably need to keep Howard in the storyline here, Uh, a Howard free episode, but uh, I think that uh, we are not losing Howard as a character on the show. Let me go back to uh, Nacho real quick. Uh, What do you think Gus, has in mind for uh, Nacho as, uh, you know, sort of like a inside man in the uh, Salamanca operation. But, you know, uh, Hector is uh, still in the hospital. What does he need with Nacho?
1: Part of it to me, and this is the part I'd be worried about if I were Nacho, is that he probably has Nacho as an insurance policy if Hector is to recover, which Gus wants to have happen. So if you perceive a scenario where Hector does have some sort of recovery and he remains involved in the Salamanca crew, you want an inside man because you want to have that leverage over Hector. You want to know what he's up to. You want to know what he's doing. You want to know ultimately where he's vulnerable and what you can do to take advantage of him. And Nacho can be his eyes and ears there. So that's, I think, an insurance policy. If Hector recovers, Tuco is still in jail, I believe, uh, and he's screwed up. So... I don't know how much longer they'll keep Tuco out of the show, but if there are other people that step up into this crew, that was one of the things Jim Duchesne wrote about. Is the the cousins were more in this episode, Rob? We're seeing more and more of these cousins, uh, and I don't know it, what that means for uh, the Moncada, uh, the Moncada brothers uh, playing Marco and Lionel Salamanca. Um, if this means we're going to see more story for them, Jim was suggesting maybe we'll see more of their backstory from. After Don Hector was giving him so much trouble and held him underwater and did that harden them or did what, what else in their life caused them to be the way that they are, but they seem to be key players now in the Salamanca world. So maybe Nacho can work with them and be eyes and ears and leverage against them. We know by the time breaking bad rolls around that Gus has enough leverage with them to call them off. So it does seem possible that Nacho can help with that as well.
0: All right, Antonio, any final thoughts?
1: Sick fish, Rob. Like, there's just a. I'm just. A, I, I don't care about the fish. You seem to think that the fish is going to die and that's going to be a major deal. I think it's just more meant to represent uh, Jimmy's uh, cover story and his lies that undid Chuck and it's going to be present you know, on his conscience and uh, a stain on his soul forever uh, until the fish dies and then he'll just move on. So I don't know. Uh, I just. I wonder how Jimmy's going to continue to make money. We're going to have 4K from this figurine boost, but then what? Uh, then where do we go? I think the the story. Of where, where, what Jimmy continues to do with his spare time is going to be interesting for me. So, I think we need more of that from Jimmy because I don't think, I, I definitely don't want to see the Antiques Roadshow season here. So, I don't know what uh, fraction we're through the season, Rob. Uh, Three tenths. Uh, so, I don't know, 30%. Uh, but uh, I think the re- remaining 70%, i would like to see how Jimmy chooses to spend his time on an ongoing basis. So, what does that look like? I think that's something I'm putting a pin in for now. Okay,
0: Antonio, can we do the hashtag uh, moneyball saw moneyball saw? Let's do it. Okay, Uh, Antonio, is uh, the sinner recap back on track?
1: It will be back on track Uh, after this week's episode. Josh and I will get back together. We'll do a double over episode three and episode four. Now that Josh is back and ready to rock, Uh, look for that sometime Thursday or at the latest uh, probably Friday morning, I hope.
0: Okay, uh, of course. Uh, Fear the Walking Dead. A big storm uh, came through on Fear the Walking Dead. Uh, Talked about that with uh, Jessica Lee. And then, uh, of course, uh, be on the lookout for the Sharp Objects recap with uh, Josh Wiggler and Emily Fox as well. All on post show recaps. You can subscribe to our main podcast feed, Post Recaps dot com slash iTunes, or our Better Call Saul feed exclusively, Post Recaps dot com slash bc s itunes and we do appreciate your feedback and your star ratings at the start of the season especially all right uh antonio's on twitter he's at ac mazzaro two z's one r i'm at rob cestrino antonio did we forget anything
1: Just, why don't i don't i don't want to talk about the wreck anymore but like i don't understand why arturo is shot in the head and nacho isn't shot in the head like that is so shoddy i whatever i, I don't care i'm done i'm nacho obviously not triggered away. at all he was running. Oh, sure. And they wouldn't chase this guy down? Like, give me a break. This is so shoddy.
0: Lesson for Dead
1: so shoddy but again this is why these guys end up how they end up no that's it rob sharp objects great time to catch up season's almost over you can binge it uh and listen to the podcast and be ready for the finale coming up so i encourage people to do that i haven't seen the show but i have seen all the feedback rolling in to post show recaps about the podcast josh and emily are doing it seems like people really like it so great time to catch up on that show if you're looking for something to watch
0: all right take care everybody have a good one bye